There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, movie truthers. Welcome to this week's episode of Truth and Movies. I'm Layla Latif. I'm David Jenkins. And I'm Lillian Crawford. On the show this week, Ezra Miller helms The Flash. Masculinity is explored in Pretty Red Dress, and we spoke to director Dion Edwards. And on Film Club, it's gender-bending cult classic Glenn or Glenda. All coming up on Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. And Lillian Crawford, my dear friend, so good to have you back. It's a pleasure to be here. And tell us, what have you been up to? You're always up to something interesting and exciting. Ah, I wish I had been. I haven't been up to much exciting. I was at the Film on Film Festival at the BFI all weekend, which was rather wonderful, especially as it's been so very, very hot and the air conditioning was on full blast in uh, there. So that was a nice um, escape from the heat. Well, they needed to keep keep it cool because because they were screening nitrate prints and uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, there well, was there was a kind of death rattle over the over the screenings, but in a good way. Yes, although I, I was told that it needed to get to thirty degrees in the projection booth for it to actually burst into flames and have a sort of cinema paradiso situation. So um, right, I was I was pleased that that didn't happen, but they had some really gorgeous prints. Um, I think Service for Ladies, which is a 91-year-old print, was my highlight. That was particularly wonderful. I enjoyed Blood and Sand, the the Ruben Mamoulian nitrate print. Very, very gorgeous, rich, painterly colours. But just an amazing atmosphere. I mean, you know, I think it's worth us talking about just a little bit because, you know, we hope that it would kind of come back next year in a kind of bigger, more expanded form. So, you know, anyone listening here, the hype is real. We want it now. We want it a bit more, larger, longer, all that. Yeah, absolutely. More more, more combustible. Yes. Um, (laughs) (laughs) More dangerous film festivals, please. Yeah. They really know how to segue into the new issue. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, yeah, there's other exciting things afoot. We've got a new issue. And uh, David, I've got to ask you about this cover. I mean, it's like hand, it's gorgeous, but it's like hand stitch belt. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. This was like, you know, I think when we're making Little White Lies, the sort of print print edition, I think we're always trying to think of some kind of like concept that, that kind of runs through every issue. And I think just one of the things that we enjoy the most is doing, do, making things by hand. And and so we, we kind of had this idea early on of one of the things that Wes Anderson likes to do in his films a lot is he has these kind of, you know, he, the way he the way he uses special effects in, in particular is very, very kind of like handicraft style and you know he uses like felt and cotton and you know he's not he's he's not using cgi i mean or or if he probably is using cgi but in 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 very very kind of subtle invisible ways so so we, we kind of jumped on this idea of like well let's let's make this issue feel like a sort of tactile object and like you, we, we want we want people to be able to see the craft and it was kind of interesting because like initially when we did it when we were looking at pdfs on a screen you'd maybe look at it and you wouldn't notice it like you, you you'd have to really look hard at the image and be like oh god that's actually a real thing that's been made and i think that's one of the beauty the beauties of like actual physical print is that now if you see the real magazine if you it, like it's kind of unequivocal you see it and it's it's obvious that it's like a 
a real thing. And yeah, that was uh, the the result of an amazing, I believe, New England. She's either in New England or Connecticut. It's that kind of northern bit of of sort of east eastern seaboard in in the US. And uh, she's called Ali Mac. And yeah, we 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 were just we. I think we were searching for kind of felt artists, and she was just like by far the best. And uh, she was she was an amazing person to work with. And and she's actually got sorry, I'm going on a bit here, but she's got this amazing like the full size version is like three times the size of the cover and you can see actually if you go onto our onto our instagram the little white lies instagram you can see like a, a she did a sort of like making of video of it so you can see the kind of amount of time and labor that went into kind of creating all the little kind of individual pieces so yeah it was it's a fun one yeah i mean it certainly is and it's a very fun film uh lillian do we have any appearances from you in the new issue uh yes i'm uh contributing to our space pot that we've sent off to the aliens in, in, in space. I have a little piece in there um, and a review as well. Yeah, just to clarify, that's there's a, there's a there's a big feature in there which was one of my, I think one of my most fun features to to organise where we kind of came up like just in the spirit of the film Asteroid City we came up with this idea of well if we were going to send a pod into space to teach alien races about about the cinema of Wes Anderson what would we put in it and we just I just got this really amazing response from our kind of coterie of of, of writers about all these individual bits and bobs that could be put in the pod and um for each thing we kind of tried to make a physical object that would be in the pod so for Lillian's Lillian's contribution we like knitted it like one of my colleagues knitted a cigarette which which um yeah which 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 is fun um we need more knitting in uh in in uh print publishing but yeah i mean there are some amazing interviews in there as well i mean jason schwartzman and hannah strong what a pairing yeah, that was amazing. She spoke to him in Cannes and it, on the phone and I was sort of in the other room and you could just, all I could hear was her sort of laughing at like sort of two minute intervals. Like, so yeah, it, that, it's, a, and it, it's a really, a really amazing, fun interview. Yeah, we got an interview with Wes and, and Maya Hawke and um, Robert Yeoman, who's his very, very long time cinematographer. So we've got all, all those guys in there. And yeah, if you're, a, if you're a Wes head, do go pick it up. Well, I think probably listeners of this podcast and Wes Heads as a Venn diagram is a circle. So, <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> but yeah, we should get a move on with a, probably a slightly less beloved film that is uh, coming out this week. It's The Flash. Join our community of film lovers by becoming a Little White Lies member who receive exclusive perks and an insider's view into the world of Little White Lies while directly supporting our independent film journalism. Search Little White Lies membership via your search engine and click through to our Steady HQ page for a detailed breakdown of the plans. Now on to the movies. Barry Allen, a.k.a. The Flash, travelled back in time to prevent his mother's murder, which traps him in an alternate reality without metahumans. He enlists the help of his younger self, an older Batman and a Kryptonian castaway Supergirl, in order to save this world from the restored General Zod and return to his universe. So Lillian, I came into this weary. I simply do not have another multiverse in me. Did you have any kind of glimmers of optimism when you were entering The Flash? Um... <laughs> well, n- n- not really. I, su- I suppose I haven't seen one of these for a little while, which is one of the nice things is um, that you only actually have to watch these films when um, someone pays you to. So it's it's nice to um, have been able to take a bit of a backseat on some of the the multiverse fare for a while. So I was I was going in thinking that it might be fine. Uh, some of the early reviews had been quite positive. There's a poster which has a quote on it that says one of the best superhero films ever made, which is credited to a Twitter handle, which I I, I rather in, enjoyed um, as a as a piece of marketing. So. I thought that this might be a positive way to approach the film. But yes, I, I think uh, one of the things I kept thinking about was that video of Hayao Miyazaki being shown CGI footage and saying that it's an insult to life itself. And that was really how this film just sort of ended up manifesting itself for me. I think there came a point where there was so much CG on screen that I couldn't really make out what 
was going on and I just sort of had to close my eyes and put in my earplugs and wait for it to to, to lie back and think of England um, in, in that situation. Yes, this was quite a distressing cinematic experience, I would say. Yeah, I mean, I've got to say I was vaguely with it for the first hour. I found some of the sort of quippiness not as unbearable as it could have been. I thought Ezra was quite charming in parts. The ridiculous scene where he's saving a lot of babies um, that are kind of tumbling out of a collapsing building was quite fun. But it's, yes, it lost me. And I ended up in a similar place of um, despair. The, the, the babies were quite fascinating to look at. I couldn't really work out if at any point the babies were real. And the la- it's, it's the real laziness of CGI that really got to me at that point in the film. Because as you say, it sort of starts off and it has, you have about five minutes of calm before the absolute mania of what's going on. And those babies do look like they're completely rounded and there's a lot of, everything's very smooth in this film. When Supergirl shows up, she doesn't really look real. She looks like a video game character. And I couldn't quite work out if it was a real person or not in the way that she's sort of been been shot within the film. It reminded me a lot of the early CG and sort of the Matrix sequels when it would start with some sort of real effects and some real live action fight choreography and then suddenly everything would become CGI and you couldn't quite work out if there was anything real on the screen. Which I suppose in something like... The the way to get around that, of course, is to make a film like Spider-Verse where you have everything animated so it doesn't matter if it looks, if it looks like this. Whereas here it's, it's very hard to distinguish between what is actually real and what isn't and it ends up just looking like this strange sort of computer-generated soup that is very distressing and overwhelming to sit through david did you find yourself overwhelmed and distressed as well you know i I, I, you know i will say that like i think that's an interesting point you make at the beginning about how we come to these films and the kind of the baggage and the stress and the fatigue that we come loaded with and and i think that if you're someone who is 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 constantly kind of going back to the trough for these films i can i can i can absolutely understand that you know that this this would be a kind of tiring and tiresome thing i haven't actually i'm trying to think i haven't I don't think I've seen one of the Marvels that deals with the mul- like a multiverse. I'm try- I'm trying to cast my mind back, but like I-, I didn't see like the Doctor Strange multiverse of madness, and and I haven't I haven't seen this, the, the 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 new Spider Man either. So this two, was this two was... Spider Man multiverses. There's the No Way oh, Home one, and there's the oh uh, I didn't I didn't Spiders. see No Way Home indeed. So like this was a, f- a first kind of mainstream multiverse experience for me. Uh, but but I had this was on the back my 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 last two big studio juggernaut films were um shazam 2 and transformers so like i was very much like it cannot be worse and and i think that might have been why that i actually i thought it was decent but absolutely agree with with everything you're saying about the the visual sludge effect i think with the with 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 these weird kind of human effigy like digital effigies that they have i'm you know i was watching the film sort of trying to think because it's as you say it's so conspicuous with cgi they're trying to kind of hide you know the whole idea of it is like it's like it's gonna it's gotta fool the eye you know it's gotta it's gotta be to a level where you actually you can suspend disbelief in a way that you're not thinking of like the, the the process and the form and in this film you very much do and i think it's i don't know it's is it trying to justify itself by saying this is what things look like when the flash is is running uh, you know is is in the in the speed force or whatever it is that he mm-hmm. he's in but like i'm so, i've been so kind of hot housed in the world of like dot, you know ha- half assed comic book digital special effects that it, it, i couldn't i couldn't get let let it let it get get me too hung up but yeah the film the film is essentially a kind of riff on sort of time travel movies and and specifically back to the future 2 they make they make references to the fact that in this Barry essentially goes back in time to 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 save his mother from from being murdered like completely randomly and and in a way that is never really explained how, you know so it's a, it's a kind of completely random a guy walks into that to their lovely suburban home and a knife surf for no reason affair so Barry decides to go back and having been kind of given a little brief 
tutorial on the butterfly effect by by batman no less he decides to go back in and and change one tiny 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 little detail and and which will kind of like send the the universe spiraling off in a different direction and with the hope that his mother will be alive and and he is successful in that respect but is an is unsuccessful in other respects and it's a story of like well how how does the 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 real Barry get back to his own timeline, but in the same time, try to come to terms with the fact that the, the, the death of his mother is, is a kind of inevitable part of, of reality or his, at least his reality. You know, I, I, I found that kind of, that sort of central idea, which is very like, you know, old as the Hills kind of concept was, was done quite well. And Ezra Miller, I think they actually are able to do the kind of slapstick comedy and the sort of deep pathos really nicely like like flipping flipping from those extremes and and actually really kind of selling it and and at the same time i can i can absolutely understand why people might find their performance quite grating and 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 it's very very extra but yeah the 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 last thing i'll say is like what i'm you know i'm trying to sort of i guess i'm trying to defend it a little bit but like i'm and it might sound like i'm clutching its straws but like there's a whole there's that it does deal with this multiverse thing and there's there is this kind of element to it where you have all these like the alternative realities are represented through like vintage comic book stories and that and and they they come to life through the the different actors who have all have played various comic book superheroes through time and it was quite i thought there was something and, and maybe you 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 can respond by saying that this is something that's been done done to death already but like you know i quite like the fact that sort of here's a film that ta- that sort of um you know suggesting that time is now relative to who played who in a superhero movie you know like our memories are kind of uh, are imprinted and and you know the, the the kind of yardstick of when things happen and events on our uh, the sort of banal events of our life can be kind of connected to oh well that was the george clooney batman era or that was the christopher reeve superman era and like it, there was something quite sort of interesting about that that idea i don't i don't know how far it was kind of you know it, it it was really sort of pushing it like it was you know actually pushing that idea or i'm just sort of reading reading something deeper into it but you know i, I guess that idea of the of a multiverse was quite quite interesting to me i see i interpreted those sort of callbacks as just here is all of the ip that we have access to and it's very superficial in the way it's presented it doesn't add anything to a sense of narrative and i think that if we're combining all of these elements and trying to cram them all together, there's just absolutely, there's no stakes involved. And I think that's been a real issue of, of the multiverse in general. Um, what I will say to, to your point about, about the plot and the sort of this narrative about his mother is that that did add a certain stake to it that I think has lacked in a lot of other multiverse films where you just think, well, if there's an alternate, an alternate universe where um, everything is possible that has happened, then the one that's happening in this one doesn't actually sort of matter at all whereas in this case because those universes had converged on this very specific sort of domestic narrative i found that quite enjoyable and mirabel verdu plays barry allen's mother which is quite a a strange casting choice i didn't expect to see her in in one of these films and i think that she gives quite attentive performances my favorite scene in the film is when a young barry and she are sort of preparing dinner together and he's doing his 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 homework and he can't understand how there are so many different ways to create equations to add up to 24 which which seemed to me to be suggesting and i think a lot of the characterization of barry allen and the flash is about neurodivergence and specifically about ADHD and how he is sort of using that as, as, as a form of superpower, which is often talked about in relation to, to neurodivergence. What I found really quite strange was the fact that those symptoms or those signs, that those, those characteristics, those behaviours are not evident in the alternate Barry Allen. So when we have the two Barry Allens, it's almost like Ezra Miller is sort of playing one of them as neurodivergent and the other one as neurotypical. And I found that very, very odd. Um, and I wasn't quite sure if it was suggestive of the fact that the powers had given him this sort of form of character or, or what Ezra Miller's idea of characterizing this character in that way was i suppose i suppose if i if i'm trying to find something something that i was actually sort of intellectually engaging with in this film it was it was probably that rather than what i said about the the point at which it just sort of devolves into absolute nothingness and as layla said the first sort of hour does have these these um these ideas which are 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 interesting to think about well, I mean, I agree with you as well. I mean, one of the things that appealed to me about this film, and, and I think that, that did make it feel a bit different from so many other of the uh, 
kind of superhero offerings especially like you know just just you know just because it's on my mind shazam 2 which was just the you know for me the absolute pits it, it wasn't it wasn't just like here's the character oh there's a new super villain in in the house that that they're, they're threatening to, to to do something awful and we've got to stop them this was actually kind of like there is no there is no bad guy there is that you know it, this is about kind of fixing a problem this is about saving saving someone saving yourself and actually you know like that that was the thing that kept me engaged like there, there, there are antagonists and there are there are sort of people doing bad things but they are not the kind of we need to we need to to do x to 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 achieve y and I, I felt the film was addressing this idea of like maybe we can't we can't just keep doing that over and over again, you know. Like is that there's, there's actually a kind of motif in the film near the end where it's it's almost asking the question: can we can we keep doing this rote we've got to kill a bad guy thing? May, again, maybe I'm reading too deeply into this, but I, it sounds like I'm kind of defending the film here, and I am I am a bit because I think I, I I did have a, I I thought I thought there was stuff that were really enjoyable about it. Like another thing that I I, I liked, and you know, results may vary, I, I guess, but like the Michael Keaton returns in as Batman as his kind of you know the Tim Burton era Batman, and he brings gravitas and and humor to the to a role that I just don't remember seeing for a long time even when he's having to like spout little kind of like callback quotations out of context that just uh, you know it's the like is there is there are bits of like fan fan service quote unquote that just fall completely flat but for the first couple of like the half of his of his sort of section that he's in he I thought you know he's really good that there's a, there's a kind of heist bit that he's involved in and it's like just the the stunts and and the the way he you know that was the thing that gave me the real kind of tingles of nostalgia of like just you know let's just have some simple fight choreography and you know some 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 cool some cool quite sort of old school gadgets and you know like it just that that stuff just yeah that worked really well for me I guess the issue for me is those sorts of things just make me remember a better time. Kind of, it's almost like, here's the thing that you once had. Let us remind you of it constantly. And then let us show you the sludgy mess that we created in its place. Yeah, it's like those moments of... of when you have Michael Keaton, they're just suddenly then degenerate into this smooth, slick movement that looks absolutely nothing like what Tim Burton was creating in, in those first two Batman films. And the the use of music's really weird in this film because Benjamin Wolfish does the, the score who works with Andy Muschietti quite a lot. He did like the music for the It films and he seems to just have complete free reign to use like Danny Elfman's music for Batman and John Williams' music for Superman and wasn't that I, I thought that, that was Danny Elfman's music. It was Danny Elfman's music, so he's oh, able right. to use it. it. It's just the idea that these things aren't I don't want to use say I suppose it is sacred isn't it to the to those original it, it all just it it turns those films into just another piece of content that is owned within this universe um and they can be used in whatever way and even I mean I don't want to um I know that people are very precious about these these films being spoiled but there's even IP that doesn't really exist or would have existed in our own alter, alternate universe and I find that absolutely baffling and quite disturbing to to see that there is no we have no possession over ourselves anymore and that um, everything is is up for grabs to be used in whatever way these films want to use them which I just didn't think had any sincerity to it Yes, I not to spoil, but one in particular should yeah. do. I found absolutely <laughs> grotesque, absolutely grotesque. But yes, we should get some scores on this before kind of I descend into my rant about uh, the abomination that happens in the final act. David, do you want to go first? Sure. Um, you know, I, I would say that I was probably not. Uh, you know, I think that 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 this this film had some bad juju before going in you know there was there were lots of like red flags to do with various things and you know maybe it was a two going in I mean I'm always very skeptical of when you know a a film has been shown at like CinemaCon or something and gets like rave reviews you know that's that's for me that for me is like the ultimate red flag but but actually I you know I ended up yeah having having a decent time with it and like I know a lot of people like like you know just just to add you know you, 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 Hannah's done a great review on LittleWhiteLies.com 
that kind of really goes quite deep into the film and and its various sort of like sources and and goes really deep into the context of it and, and where it's kind of coming from and it's and, and that that was really enjoyable and, and 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 educational to read for me so but yeah it's probably a three threes threes in in in, in enjoyment and retrospect like i definitely definitely was a kind of 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 those kind of movies it was a it was a a, a more a more pleasant experience i laughed a few times in this film yes i mean i must say now that you've mentioned shazam 2 and that memory's come flooding back i do think it's slightly warm to this uh this pile of vomit for me i suppose lillian what about you what are your scores uh i i was spared the pleasure of shazam 2 but i i would give it the benefit of the doubt i never i try never to go into a film thinking it's going to be the absolute worst film of all time so we'll, we'll, we'll stick the anticipation at a two but it is the worst film of all time I think perhaps or at least it is in my in my current understanding of it I don't think I've ever quite had to try to go into a state of zen that I did during this film sort of closing my eyes and and shutting myself out from from what was going on it made me question my mortality and um, how much longer I can sit through these kinds of films. I felt every minute of those 155. And yeah, it was it was a, an arduous and painful experience. So en- enjoyment and in retrospect, both at, both at a one for me. Yeah, I think I'm at about a two to one. What enjoyments I did take from it was taken away by the fact that I felt that it was a violation of a lot of people's legacies. I suppose. And I think there's a very worrying trend happening here when it comes to the ability of these deep fakes and things to happen. And I think people should be outraged and we should figure out a system which what is okay to do and what isn't because there's been some really disturbing usage of it of late. But next up, we should move on to a much smaller film, Pretty Red Dress. Pretty Red Dress follows a South London family and how one red dress is at the centre of their lives. But before we get into the film itself, I spoke to director Dion Edwards about her debut and its exploration of gender and family. Yeah, I was uh, so desperate to see it because I missed it at um, the uh, BFI, fest, uh, the London Film Festival. And then it's like always that slightly annoying thing of having to wait till it actually for the next round to get a peek yeah but, which is ages it's like gee yeah that's months and months and months isn't it but i mean it must be kind of nice coming to it with you know having had people see it having gotten that affirmation it's great people really liked it and now you know yeah. that pressure is off the cinema release i guess well, i don't know if the pressure's off because i always think well maybe some people liked it then and then when we get you know months later they might not like it again so there was a bit of anxiety but um so far so good we've had some reviews come in they've been really positive so far so yeah i can't complain oh and it is kind of bit of a challenging thing i suppose because the, there's not a lot of films out there like this kind of tonally i suppose because it's not kind of misery kind of trauma but it's not sort of like unrelentingly grim and it's not yeah. like kind of feel good british movie either like how would you describe the tone well it's really interesting because i was just having another interview and i find in interviews like some people talk about the originality and say you know it's there's been some discussion about like is this original because of some of the topics discussed and then on the other hand certain interviewers sort of say it's really original so i I find that really interesting and in where it sits and and also i've been hearing a lot that there's warmth in it and I always like intended for it to be this sort of mix of grit and glamour is is what is are the two words that we used but yeah I thought it'd be interesting to kind of explore masculinity and femininity and hardness and softness um but what I found is in in terms of reactions like a lot of people come out there saying it's really warm it's really joyful and that's really interesting because I think there's some some dark things in there and some difficult things in there but primarily I've been getting that it's warm and joyful which I think is actually a really good thing it means that people are sort of coming out of the cinema or the screening or wherever they've watched it a bit lifted so yeah I think it's I think it's really good and I think it's really interesting I mean then there's certainly some dark moments kind of in towards the I won't give any spoilers but towards the third act it did all feel like they are just like rushing headlong into tragedy but I guess you you do provide a bit of relief from that so it's not sort of what you're left with exactly yeah and I think music always helps that as well and especially if you're going to put in some of these these great tracks that you've got these Tina Turner like sort of 60s 70s tracks they they really give it a lift as well 
So that's helpful. I mean, with her recent passing, I think people are reflecting so much more on what she symbolized. And I guess you in this film she's got that great masculinity and femininity combined like these characters do yeah for sure like she it's it's weird but the journey of sort of how the dress came to be and how tina turner came into it i don't i can't actually pinpoint like what exactly that was and when it happened and i almost don't want to go back i want to just kind of think of it in a dreamlike state but somehow I think as the Candice character because I started with Travis and then I started developing Candice um I was thinking about the things that she was into and Tina Turner came came to it and yeah whether it was the red dress first or Tina Turner I don't know but I guess Tina Turner is she I mean she was just absolutely at the forefront of like innovation that came to like stage performance and taking you know as a as a woman you know around the time when you had people like Diana Ross and the Supremes who were much more sort of elegant and you know brilliant in themselves but sort of everything was a little bit more you know restrained and Tina Turner would get on stage and it would be like she'd have these like beautiful dresses on with sequins but they were really short which kind of gave you a, a look into like her sexuality and everything and then she'd just like sort of gyrate and screw up her face and it was as if you know she was influenced by preachers and like um, James Brown and people like that so it was really interesting because you know she was kind of celebrating her femininity but also expressing some masculinity and I thought that was really interesting but also because her journey as an artist but her journey as a person as well with the think difficult things that she had to go through and what she had ha- what she had to overcome and how she used um going on stage to kind of have a release I don't know that all kind of subconsciously tied in to to this film and the red dress and yeah I mean we wouldn't have a film without Tina Turner so yeah it's it's very sad but also like I thank her for this legacy that she's left oh yeah I'm what a woman but it were kind of there is a sort of 70-ish I, I mean, I kind of thought maybe 70s feel to it, both in the sort of era of Tina that you've gone for, but also in the aesthetic of the film. Were those your kind of influences? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I really love the 70s period and sort of late 60s period of American cinema in particular. Saturday Night Fever was was a huge um, influence, which is kind of a strange one because people obviously remember John Travolta and Flares. Um, but also, like, I think that film just demonstrates kind of grit and glamour really well. Um, and I really love the way it sort of has this, is set in this kind of gritty neighbourhood in, in Brooklyn. And, you know, you get a sense of this realism, but also these really beautiful heightened moments with the dance scenes. And there's something just so cinematic about it. Um, and then I was also influenced by the British film Babylon as well. You know, the, um, yeah, the 79 and just Alice doesn't live here anymore Scorsese and that's just generally like a lot of my taste but I I just love the way there's kind of imperfection in a lot of 70s cinema I mean since then we've grown very sort of glossy and very technical and everything is very smooth and I I really enjoy sometimes you watch these films and they're they're a bit you know rugged and um, imperfect in sort of the camera movement and everything Um, and they do this amazing thing of like taking brilliant actors who you know just go straight into their characters really deeply and you believe that's them and they mix that with cinematic techniques but also yeah the key word imperfect they're not they're not perfect either I really love that so I think that's definitely had a lot of influence on the film I mean, how do you get an actor like uh, Nathie Jones, who's like, because it's it's an exploration of gender, it's an exploration of black masculinity, but one that is not easily labeled and he has to have this sort of such a range to him. I mean, what mm. were you looking for and how did you find it? Mm. Well, that's exactly what we were looking for, range. Um, we really needed an actor who had a lot of range um, and we needed someone who could play the tough guy from the neighbourhood, from ends, um, who could do that really well, then who could also put a dress on and um, have that softness, that flow, that ease. And we found often with actors, it was like one or the other. And then when we were getting somewhere with some actors, a lot of them were very uneasy about the role, obviously, because the 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 themes explored and I think we're not really I I always think to myself what would it be like if this was a role for a white actor and how many you know would we would we have had the same struggles with the auditions but yeah um it was tough and we got very close to the shoot and we're getting really scared and then Natey did a tape and um it was amazing and then we just we kept seeing him and I think what I saw in him was this just deep sensitivity and this mysteriousness in the way and then just intelligence and then yeah he just really took the character and lifted him off the page and I think 
that's because Nate is like he can he's got a background in theatre which is amazing so he has the ability and you know he does musical theatre as well so he's like a dancer he's a singer he's an actor so he has this very like amazing physical ability but also he can be really restrained and a lot of the character um, the way he plays a lot of the characters sort of very pulled back and it's all on his face so it was really exciting when we found Nate because he was able to do everything to be really sort of instinctive but also very technical as an actor so um yeah it felt like destiny in a way and uh yeah I couldn't imagine anyone else playing him yeah and I was so impressed by Alexandra Burke as well because like knowing her from TV is something such a big personality and so sparkly and so kind of you know delightful but like quite over the top and in this she's like quite she's very subtle like she's got like a lot of very uh, yeah. nuanced moments she doesn't ham it up at all yeah yeah well uh, yeah Alexandra I mean I think in most actors, you want to sort of, I like to, especially in actors that um, maybe aren't so, aren't huge stars. I mean, Alex is a huge star in music, but not necessarily known for her film and TV roles. This was her first first role um, in film. And yeah, she has these amazing qualities. She's very sort of, she's got a larger than life personality. But I think what I loved, what I took from her is she has a lot of warmth as well. And uh, incredible incredible energy um and it's funny because like when I was first having conversations with her she said like the character could have almost been her and the life she could have had where if she didn't sort of win the X Factor that could have been something quite different and she was just talking about how much she related to the character and there was something in that that I really liked um but yeah she's 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 very fearless and she's unafraid to, to to look silly. She just goes for it every single time. And I think she just, she really takes direction, so, takes direction so well. Um, so, I mean, it was an absolute like pleasure to direct her. It was a lot of fun. And um, yeah, she just, she just went for it all the time. And I mean, it feels like quite a brave script in many senses, because you're also kind of challenging some quite, some kind of taboos, like the resentment that you might have towards your child and the sort of like, you know, being a black woman who's not necessarily magnanimous at all, all times and selfless, you know, these are sadly things that we don't see a lot of. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought it was interesting when you said taboo, that, that described that as taboo if we're going to talk about the, the cross-dressing side. But yeah, that is really interesting. And it's funny because when, you know, she, there's a scene in the film, I don't know if I want to give too much away, but she says something, you know, she says an insult. Mm-hmm. And the audience always gasps and they're like, oh my gosh. And um, there was a lot of worry at script stage if we were going to lose the audience there. But I think that she's such a great character and so layered that you sort of, you kind of understand her reasoning, even though it wasn't necessarily the best thing. So yeah, it's really interesting that you caught onto that. Yeah. It's that 1970s return where you actually have like people that aren't just good guys and bad guys and people contain multitudes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then filling out this trio, you have this young actress who has never performed in anything before, who yeah. is, you know, meets them at their level of the other yeah. two established. I mean, how did you find her? So Temi Lola Olatumbasan, she was, so our casting director had um, seen her for, for other things. They do a lot of street casting and they recommended her and she came in. And for the Kanisha character, we were trying to do sort of a more workshopping style of auditioning for kids. So I usually find that's the best way. So getting them to do different improvs and stuff. And she just came in and straight away since she opened her mouth, we were like, oh my gosh, there she is. There's a character. Um, she's just, she she didn't even know what she was auditioning for. And Georgia, the producer, always jokes, like when she was on her third audition, she said, what is this? What am I auditioning for? She, was, she almost had the part. And then she just said, what is this? And we're like, you know, you're auditioning for a feature film for BBC and BFI. And she was like, oh, OK. And we're like, what do you think you what did you think you were doing there? But yeah, she she just has this very sort of uncanny ability to act natural um, with a camera. And, you know, it's really difficult for anyone with a camera on them to, to act natural. But for a kid for the first time, I don't know how she does it. She just really just as soon as you, you know, she's quite shy in real life. But as soon as you've got a camera on her, it's it's like she just falls into the character. Um, and yeah, she was just really able to bring out that character. I think she is quite different in real life, but there was something deep that she she understood. And yeah, she just wasn't intimidated at all by Nate or Alexandra. She just was straight in there. So amazing. God, I wish I was that cool when I was 14. <laughs> I, know, I know, it's ridiculous. <laughs> oh, thank you so much for your time. And best thank of you. Great questions. And I'm really happy that you like picked up on certain things as well, because sometimes people don't pick up on these things. Well, yeah. I try, I try. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Bye. So
Speak soon. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. So, David, you've done the review for Little White Lies. I was pretty charmed by this. Uh, how did you feel about it? Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a really impressive, bold film, and you know, I think like I don't I don't think I think it, it there is there are some elements of it that are a little rough around the edges, which is kind of understandable for 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 kind of is it it's a debut? I, mm-hmm. Yeah, I believe it was but, a short, and then she's um, you know made the feature. Right. You know, which which are to be expected, but like you know, so much so much potential there. Yeah, I guess it's dealing with an with with an issue that you know I don't think we necessarily see dealt with a lot in this way and with this kind of tone and with this and and and, a, and this sense of like dramatic seriousness as well. That's not to say it's a completely serious film. It is it, there is a kind of playful and quite cinematic element to it. You have this character Travis played by Natey Jones, who is introduced coming out of prison. And he comes home to his his uh, wife, Candice, played by Alexandra Burke, who is of, you know, I'm, I'm not, I, is it, is it Britain's Got Talent or? I think she X was X Factor. X Factor, yes. X Factor, yeah. sorry, sorry. One, <laughs> it, she, she, she's a kind of talent, talent show grandee who has kind of gone on to uh, other things and um, proves here that she's actually a really good actor as well. And then you, and you have their daughter as well, Kanisha, who is kind of, questioning uh, at school privately questioning her her sexuality but is apprehensive about you know coming out and talking and and letting her friends know and letting her parents know but it turns out that you know this isn't this isn't a film about kind of teen sexuality it's also a film about adult you know adult sexuality and essentially having an experience which makes you question you know just question your own mind about about these about these things and the film kind of plays out as this you know it's 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 all, it's like a kind of like slightly comic musical drama in which we see this character who is he's working night so he's he's left to sort of like flop about in their flat in the day and um meanwhile Candice is in the process of of, of uh, auditioning for a role in a uh, Tina Turner R.O.P. musical, and they buy this sort of the, the 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 red dress of the title, which is this kind of sequined, very very revealing uh, kind of vintage vintage dress. And you know, Natey obviously, you know, is it, it has holds some kind of great appeal for him, and you think, oh, he wants to see Candice in it, but actually, he it, it turns out that he wants to wear it himself, and you know, he takes pleasure from wearing the dress. Yeah, the film kind of plays out this sort of variation of this of this secret that he has and the, the, the sort of private pleasures that gradually become public. And I think some the, the, the way that it's dealt with is it deals with the, this kind of like, maybe what you'd call a social taboo in a way that, that, that is very kind of mature and interesting. And there is, there are some big kind of dramatic heated moments. I think, I think some, some elements of it didn't work for me. It, it, it maybe felt a little hysterical at times in the, in the, in the way that people reacted. And, and sometimes I thought that Edward's direction was a little bit overwrought. Like sometimes I felt that, that she maybe didn't have the full trust of her actors to just just 
point the camera at them and let them let them do the work and i think that she that there was always there was there was maybe too often a feeling that she felt that she needed to like move a have a camera moving or create some sort of like maybe slightly false dynamism to 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 lift the material when actually everything is there and what we what you know what you want in a film like this is to, is is to just delve into the into the actors in the, and have that have the most kind of direct contact with them possible and and i think there there's there's just a few little things she does throughout the film that that maybe creates a bit of undue distance so you're not quite getting as deep under the skin as you as you maybe could but other but in the main yeah a very very impressive film Lillian for you I mean it's not a it's not a subtle film should we say but was it no it's not and I I think that David's point about what Dion Edwards is doing uh, in terms of stylization often detracts from the subtleties of what is actually there within the film and I and that I found very compelling and often quite moving. As you, you you said, Leila, that it was based on a short film, which I haven't, I confess I haven't seen. I'd quite like to see that because this film is very long. It's 150 minutes. Um, and I don't think that it, that, that is at all justified. And it almost feels like someone is trying to take some a sort of chamber piece or a chamber story almost and turn it into something cinematic. So it has a lot going, going on within it. I actually think that this is a very successful film about someone who wants to play Tina Turner um, in a West End show. I think it's a really lovely performance from Alexandra Burke, someone who I had sort of noticed was doing the pantomime circuit for a few years. So it's nice to see her doing something a, a bit more adult, a bit more grown up, um, which which this performance very much is. And I think that she, I mean, she, she has an, an amazing voice for, for doing Tina Turner. And there's a, there's one sort of flight of fantasy, which is a sequence of singing Proud Mary, which I thought was absolutely the, the strongest moment in this film. I really, really loved that. And I, I, I found the, the dynamic between her character, Candice, and her daughter, um, Kanisha, who's played by Termolola um, Alatenbosan, who's absolutely wonderful in this film. I think that she's... The way that she interacts with her parents is really interesting, particularly in terms of how she's sort of dealing with her own sexuality, how that's manifesting in her behaviour at school and how her two different parents are sort of res- responding to that. In terms of, of Travis's characterization, which I suppose is, is, is really how this film is, is centering itself. So you have these, these three quite different it's like a triptych of, of storylines and they're all quite different. And and the way that Travis is portrayed is... I just didn't really understand what it was trying to commit to showing w- with him. I liked the fact that we were seeing a different form of sexual partnership between himself and his um, his his partner, which I don't think I've seen very often. I think that the sort of power play within their relationship was really interesting particularly in terms of how how Travis is is interacting in in the sex scenes within the film which I thought were really beautifully handled it I just never really got an impression of what this dress actually sort of was doing for him or what it meant for him and what these clothes were doing for him not that I think that it needs to label itself and I quite like the fact that there's there's a fluidity of this and there's not really an idea of it I just never really got the impression that Natie Jones in his acting was actually ever that compelled by this dress or a desire to wear it. He actually sort of, he looks very uncomfortable wearing it. And I couldn't work out if it was a sort of, if it was a sexual thing, if it was a form of, um, of, of, of cross-dressing that he was, that he was interested in. And these questions are asked throughout the film and he's never really sort of able to, to articulate what's going on i found that aspect quite frustrating even though actually in some ways it's also liberating so it's this strange kind of dynamic i think that people will watch this film and have to try to work that out for themselves and like what i think is good is that a lot of gender and trans related issues within uh, this within the landscape of britain are so often labeled and put into very distinct categories and this film sort of refuses to do any of that but at the same time by sort of avoiding them entirely it it lacks a certain focus that that i wasn't entirely clear on there, there is almost like a I, I one of the interesting things that, that i again it was a hard thing to sort of know whether it was a good or a bad thing but like the, the this idea of N- natey is this really actually chaotic character who just makes makes loads and loads of like but not just bad decisions just like you know really silly decisions and there's this there's this kind of almost a kind of comic motif where he 
it's the classic it's it's the classic thing of you know he'll be at home alone you know he's checked no one in the house he puts the red dress on and then suddenly someone comes home and he's like scramble you know scrambling to 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 get it off and get it back into the wardrobe and that 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 seems that happens like two or three times where he just can't you know he just can't get this break he can't get this piece and 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 to be able to sort of like do the thing that he wants to do alone and uh you know that 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 kind of stuff it was it was i found it sometimes hard to judge whether that was like is this is it kind of like just riffing on this cliche over and over again or is it sort of making some comment on like you know he's he's not he's he's not someone who is completely in tune with his with his ideas and what he's thinking and his and his and his emotions and feelings and things um i read it as deliberate i think that there's a sort of semi-conscious or unconscious desire to to, sh- to to get caught to get to show this and that's that's actually a part of it and I I quite liked that I quite like that it's sort of showing this almost the, the the shame that comes around it for him is manifested in increasingly sort of disturbing ways I mean towards the end there's 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 a scene which is is difficult to watch I would say um, because it's almost like watching someone having a breakdown on 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 the screen but I'm not really sure what catharsis there was for that. And it's a, it's one of these strange films which sort of stages itself almost as like a British feel-good film. And it has the, this sort of Tina Turner dynamic. And then it doesn't really know where to go with that. So I found that I found those t- the, the tonal shifts in that in that respect quite... I feel like this film was trying to be just a nice film, but it didn't really know how to get the landing right. And as a result, it goes on for 150 minutes rather than cutting off at about the 90 minute point. Yes, um, this is not a, a week of, uh, of, of discipline in the editing room, I suppose. <laughs> but David, you want to get some scores on this? Yeah, you know, I'm I'm, I'm probably going to give it threes across the board. You know, I think I think it's you know really really strong debut. I think Dion Edwards is a really interesting new voice, and you know, I hope that she is already in production with another movie that she's exploring you know similar kind of themes or or, or deal, dealing with 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 intricate themes in 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 such a way um so yeah no i'm i'm i thought it was I, i'm i'm giving it a thumbs up lillian what about you uh yeah anticipation would probably be a four i thought that it looked like quite a radical and different take um particularly on black masculinity black british masculinity which i don't think is something that i've seen explored in this way ever before so my enjoy- my enjoyment and retrospect would probably be about a three i think it, it dealt with it in in a, in very interesting ways i just think that i i was hoping for something a bit uh, more substantial and stronger but um more alexandra burke in dramas please that was that was that's a nice surprise. Yes, because I mean, David, you won't know as you didn't watch the X Factor, evidently. But like, she she she's a big character. She's a, like kind of an almost an Alison Hammond level, like a real ham. So actually, this kind of subtlety of performance is pretty extraordinary. Yeah, I think I'm kind of in the same zone of like I can't quite give it fours. Um, very very high threes but it's kind of it's a very promising debut and I think it's you know I'd I'd be very interested to see what everybody involved does next and some of it really did stick with me I mean there's a scene involving the police that I found utterly harrowing and you don't want to damn it too much with faint praise by saying just like oh you know good test for what happens next but I mean I imagine this isn't going to be her finest film that she ever makes but certainly one that I would recommend people pop out to the cinemas to see next up what is has been referred to as one of the worst films of all time it's glenn or glenda Glenn doesn't tell his fiancée Barbara that he likes to wear women's clothes. In addition, Alan is undergoing painful surgery to become a woman. Both stories are told by a psychiatrist. So Lillian, I mean, I certainly don't think this is one of the worst films of all time. I don't think it's I wonder the- if the person who called this the worst film of all time is the same person who said Flash was the best superhero film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, this is definitely not the worst film this week in my view it's the but, best I mean, it is certainly the best film <laughs> we've got yeah <laughs> yeah i mean it is it is a trip this movie but mm. i mean i was watching it for the first time i had seen edward the the good the <laughs> tim burton <laughs> important yeah god who's it who's it by tim burton, tim, tim burton. oh yes I, I had seen edward the tim burton film so i was kind of slightly familiar with it i didn't really know what to expect um had you come to this before this week 
Um, yes. Well, it's an interesting one. I, I've certainly engaged with this film a lot. I'm very interested in Edward and I have been for a long time. And I think that he's someone who still is deeply misunderstood in film. And I, I think that it's interesting because I think most people will know about Edward through the Tim Burton film. So I think it's a good starting point to talk about this film um, and the way it's presented. And the issue I've always had with, with Edward as a film is that I can never be certain how it's playing Edward's life and, and his situation, um, particularly in, in its approach to his transvesticism and, and the, the fact that he likes to, to wear women's clothing and Bella Lugosi's career, which we'll come to in a minute, and whether or not it's playing these things as empathy and to garner empathy for these characters, or if it's playing it for laughs and that we're supposed to be laughing at and mocking Johnny Depp wearing a dress. So I, th- I think that, that it's, it's an interesting starting point, and it's the first film that, that Edward makes. He is very... He's aware of the fact that this this huge news story, I mean, it can't really be understated how big it is in 1952 that Christian Jorgensen comes back from Denmark um, having had what is what is referred to as a sex change, but what we would now call gender confirmation surgery or, or, or casually known as, as bottom surgery that, that, she's, that she's undergone. And Edward is fascinated by this because Edward is someone who has been wearing women's clothing since he was a child. And he starts wondering about his own gender identity and whether or not this is a form of surgery that he would want to have. And he knows other people within his sort of social circle, within his filmmaking circle, particularly someone called Bunny Breckenridge, who um, later inspires Gore Vidal's book, uh, Myra Breckenridge, who does want to have this surgery. Um, they never actually had that surgery because, for various reasons, but they, they tried um, repeated times. So it's something that Edward is sort of existing within the world of, but it's very much something that's not talked about until now. And it's become this huge thing when he comes to make this film in 1953. Of course, Edward doesn't have great studio backing and needs to get the money from an exploitation company called Screen Classics and a producer called George Weiss, who backs it as as this sort of uh, sex change exploitation B-movie picture that's going to play in small, crummy theatres in the US. And he basically wants something that people can can be shocked by, be disgusted by and, and laugh at. And Edward wants to make a very sympathetic documentary about these people, about his own identity and about his friends' identities. So what we end up with is this very strange sort of hodgepodge of all of those ideas. And you have things that Weiss is adding in to flesh the film out, like these weird erotic vignettes where we see sort of master-slave sexual dynamics and whipping just sort of randomly inserted. And Edward's become friends with Bella Lugosi, who famously played Dracula in the in the 1930s version and um, he has found him um, in Hollywood and asks him to do this narration and there's lots of lightning flashes and the way it all comes together actually feel is why it's been called the worst film of all time but when we look at films like Rocky Horror Picture Show or later cult classics or something like Hedwig and the Angry Inch which are all sort of have this transness to them that actually this aesthetic works in its favour and is and is perhaps why it's now being reevaluated in in the way that it has been. Yeah, I mean I found I really, really liked it, but I must say I did feel out of my mind watching <laughs> it as well. Well it's 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 a man who is out of his mind and I think that's what I find it very moving. I find it very upsetting because this is someone who is clawing for a sense of of self-understanding and an understanding of what all of these things are that aren't being talked about, that you can't talk about seriously, that aren't really understood academically or medically at this point. And it's it's almost like a cry, a really desperate cry for help um, and for love and understanding and empathy, pulling from all of these different fragments. So yeah, it's it's both remarkable but also very upsetting, I think. But it's 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 still pretty incredible for in 1953 that this this is a, an object that exists. David, you still going to go with this was the best film of the week? Oh, absolutely. I mean, this was actually my, my the only other Edward film I'd, I'd, I've encountered is Plan Nine from Outer Space, and that, and that was that was via this this American show called Mystery Science Theater 3000, which is a kind of I don't think it ever played on UK TV. It, maybe I think it's on Netflix. 
Netflix actually at the moment, but it was like a cult show in the, in the kind of 80s and 90s where they had these robots who would, it was a kind of proto form of like commentary where they do these kind of snarky commentaries over bad films. And I'm, I'm sure they were, they were, they, they did a bunch of Ed Wood. But yeah, no, like actually, actually kind of encountering this one now glenn or glenda it just it i'd actually the other like about a fortnight ago re-watched most of like kenneth anger's films who we now you know who's now kind of considered a kind of godfather of of like modern experimental film and and queer representation and you know these are these ideas of kind of magic and stuff like that but but yeah, I mean this this Glenn or Glenda for me plays in that register where it's kind of dealing with there is a there is a kind of camp, uh, inherent campiness to it that comes from its kind of you know bargain basement production values where you've got things like yeah as you say these kind of ra- random inserts you've got Bella Lugosi's narration which doesn't seem to like connect to to, to anything that's happening on uh, elsewhere in the film you 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 know you've got the you've got the kind of use of stock footage that's it that's that's done in this very kind of charmingly haphazard way but actually now like almost seems like you're watching a Jean-Luc Godard film because it's that kind of you know you're what it's that there is a sort of abrasiveness to everything that just makes it feel, feel like so exciting like you know you're, you're, you're watching these films like you know it, you, you're watching it thinking that this could go anywhere this is where where is it going to go next what's the next scene going to bring I think you know it's I, I understand you know it's it's understandable why people might see this or have might have seen this and like laugh laughed at it or mocked it for, for whatever reason but actually like I found the film like extremely moving and um it's the 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 old cliche is like you know it really is so so far ahead of its time in terms of maybe maybe not in terms of like the sort of formal elements of it but actually the subject matter what what it's talking about the way it's talking about it a lot of it you know even though it, it is very much from a from a different era the sort of raw empathy there and this 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 idea of kind of you know people needing to sort of strive for for kindness and understanding in these matters and letting people you know, exist in the way that they want to exist. It's 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 a kind of be- beautiful message, um, and that 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 really kind of comes through, despite you know m- maybe sort of efforts to to sort of conceal it or package it in a slightly different way. You know, Edward's performance in the film as Glenn, Glenn and Glenda. You know, it's 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 coming from a place of like you know of 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 kind of innocence and experience. You know, it's like you know it's quite. It's 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 a fascinating lived-in performance, but also it's, it's 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 interesting in the film that he's obviously trying to be someone else. He's trying to he's trying to sort of present himself, his character as this authority. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I only the version I watched was on was on Amazon, and uh, you know, I was trying to sort of look at you know, is this the right version? Is this the is this the longest version? I think the the version I watched ran at like fifty-seven minutes or something, and I think there are kind of I, I imagine there are numerous other cuts and lengths to the film with extra scenes or it's the sort of film that you imagine has been like butchered over the years and probably you know slumbered in the public domain or or whatever but one of the things that I really like last point one of the things I really love about the current kind of DVD and Blu-ray home entertainment culture is that it it, it's giving a real these these kind of auteurs these kind of you know these kind of like grot auteurs who have been dismissed from the sort of 60s, 50s, 60s, who made kind of schlocky genre films, zero budget things. It's, it's just, a, they, they just give you an amazing opportunity to just see the kind of, you know, to, 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 to sort of wow in the sort of artful, artfulness of what they were doing. And, the, you know, the, 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 there is a kind of, you know, there, there's a sort of punk, there's a punkishness to, to Edward, which which I just love, you know. And, and you know, I, I've only seen two of his movies and I'm going to sort of delve a little deeper, I think. No, it's worth doing so. I mean, this this is the, the others are all very different to this one. This is this sort of stands out on its own. What I will say is a sort of in in terms of how it's presenting this sort of documentary idea of of what I think is very important for in sort of queer history and queer legacies is that of course that there is there is heritage and there is precedent and that the, the, the for a lot of people thinking like watching something like Pretty Red Dress, for example, where I was saying that. Uh, you know, everyone wants to sort of categorise things and label things. And this film is sort of saying, well, you can't put everyone in the same box in this way because you have these these two stories. You have the sort of Glenn or Glenda narrative and then you have the Alan or Anne narrative later on, which actually features some some really quite extraordinary footage of surgery, which which is historic in itself, as as, as you say, it's sort of 
there's these uses of stock footage. And I think it's really interesting to look at it that way. A really great film that came out fairly recently, I think it's on BBC iPlayer, because I think it was released um, through Storyville, called Casa Susanna by Sebastian uh, Lifshitz, who's done um, a few very interesting sort of trans-narrative documentaries. One called Little Girl. When was that? A couple of years ago now, which I thought was a really, really beautiful film. But Casa Susanna is fantastic and looks at uh, the sort of history of, of a community of people who would go to this house and sort of just be able to exist around each other and and dress however they want um and and be gendered however they 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 want and i think that it's interesting that that's really what edward is sort of coming out of and to come back to the tim burton film again there's a scene when edward asks bunny breckenridge who's played by bill murray in the film to to gather these people together and i i was watching it again yesterday and i was thinking am i supposed am i supposed being asked to laugh at this group of people or or am i being invited to to empathize with them and i think that that's really the shift that we continue to see played out is 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 that idea um there's a moment in edward when the narrator says um you're doing it right it's like this is what how people respond you're doing it right now you're laughing aren't you and (laughs) most people watching this film anyone with any empathy would absolutely not be laughing at what they're they're seeing on screen and i think that that's the shift that we're continuing to see in relation to how we we see trans people um depicted on screen yeah what a lovely note to to end on i mean it's um it's certainly like i mean i found myself quite nervous going in but yes like you that sort of radical empathy that it comes with um was really quite moving but we should wrap up with our final thing you're going to give us some non-movie recommendations lillian do you want to go first what would you suggest people check out if they're not going to be in the cinema yeah, well, I'm cheating slightly because it is sort of film related, I suppose. But I finally went to see the new Isaac Julian retrospective at the Tate Britain the other day, which has a series of Julian's video installations, include one called Looking for Langston, which is about the, the Harlem Renaissance and, and Langston Hughes and sort of black queerness and histories of black queerness within that film. But they've been set up on these incredible multi-screen installations within the Tate Britain. And I, I highly recommend going going to see that if you're able to to go i will find time so i will be able to go <laughs> that sounds amazing yeah, looking for langston's amazing yeah such a great film uh and david what about you what non-movie things should people be looking out for i know that th- i always do this but I'm, I'm gonna sort of like again air my kind of gaming my secret shame i i, ha- I have been like so many others immersed in the world of uh, zelda tears of the kingdom on the on the Nintendo Switch and it's a kind of brilliant and infuriating epic it's this kind of huge open world game and there's just it's about 10 really good games fully realized games that have been smushed together in a single game and there's like you're kind of playing it and you're thinking this this could i could prob i could probably be playing this forever sometimes you think i don't necessarily want to be playing this forever and i want i want to be able to see a light at the end of the tunnel but that it's 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 certainly a it sapped a lot of my time up and not an, in an unenjoyable way and i don't think I'm, I'm i'm one of these people who see it as the kind of what you know the one of the greatest games of all time but it's 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 certainly a, a, an impressive feat and i'm you know getting some you know getting getting some enjoyment out of playing it it does feel like a kind of semi-recommendation and a little bit like heed my warning <laughs> yeah i mean it's it, it, it's it's pretty much the only thing i can recommend non-film apart apart from from doing nail polish with my daughter which i don't think counts that's that's the only kind of non-film thing i've been uh, i've been engaging with recently hmm Fair enough. So if you've got thoughts on these films, you can email truthandmovies at tcolondon.com or tweet us at LWLies. Next week, it's Wes Anderson's latest, the subject of the latest issue, Asteroid City. Nobel laureate Annie Erno's story is told in the Super 8 Years. And for Film Club, we return to Bad Day at Black Rock. Thanks very much for tuning in. And if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Truth and Movies is hosted by me, Leila Latif, and my guests this week with David Jenkins and Lillian Crawford. The podcast is produced by TCO London and edited by Bob Stankus. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.